It's time to think differently about healthcare, but how do we keep up? The days of yesterday's medicine are long gone, and we're left trying to figure out where to go from here. With all the talk about politics and technology, it can be easy to forget that healthcare is still all about humans. And many of those humans have unbelievable stories to tell. Here, we leave the policy debates to the other guys and focus instead on the people and ideas that are changing the way we address our health. It's time to navigate the new landscape of healthcare together and hear some amazing stories along the way. Ready for a breath of fresh air? It's time for your Paradigm Shift. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare and thank you for listening. My name is Michael Roberts. I'm joined here today by Scott Seitzer. Today, we're talking about why you should be paying attention to web accessibility for your practice. And we're gonna look at how you, sh- you can evaluate accessibility on your site and what you can do to improve. We're joined by Vasu Tamala. He's our senior designer and front-end developer here at Health Connective and P3. We're all one big company here. He's our staff expert for all things related to web accessibility. No pressure, Vasu. You're going to share your practice, share your insights today on how practices can make their websites more accessible for patients of all abilities. So thank you so much for joining us, Vasu. We're looking forward to the conversation today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Awesome. Alrighty. So let's talk about web accessibility means. This isn't a topic that everybody's familiar with. So what, what does it mean? And then why is it important, especially for medical practices? Sure. I think it's important just to start with what is the web even? And it is the greatest communication tool that the world has ever known. It is It reaches more people and is more important and has a lower barrier of entry compared to anything that's ever come before it, whether we're talking about stone tablets, the printing press, radio, television, doesn't matter. Each one of those has built on the work of the past and has gotten cheaper and reached more people and has required that person to have to need fewer and fewer physical or socioeconomic abilities to access that media. The web is just the latest version and the current version of that. So with that, you have a medium that can reach anyone regardless of what their hardware is, what their software is, what their language is, their location, physical abilities, network access, doesn't matter. They can get onto the web. And nothing's been able to do that before in such a way. With that, and the reason it can do that is because just like all the previous mediums that have existed, it is more and more accessible in terms of the diversity of person that can interact with it. So regardless of your hearing ability, your vision, movement, sight, cognitive abilities, the web at its core was designed to reach all of those people. So at its core, the web is supposed to be accessible and reach everyone. And the only time that really doesn't happen is when someone goes out of their way, maybe, or isn't really thinking about building that into the product that they're creating. And that could happen just because maybe they don't know any better, or maybe it's a time issue, or maybe it's a cost issue. But accessibility just means being cognizant and being inclusive of who you're trying to reach and building that in from the get-go. It's a critically important thing if you think about it, because everybody immediately thinks, oh, they can't see or or they can't uh, hear very well. And it's, no, there's such a, you you put it very well, there's such a a wide range of ways that a person might need some help, but they're connected now. And then how do we ensure that. And it's something that I talk to a lot of my current customers, prospective customers, when we're talking, I always say, 
American with Disabilities Act is going to be really important. And this is what, you know, accessibility, American with Disabilities Act talks a lot about this. And everybody goes, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. And then <laughs> I, right. I say, hey, yeah, you remember HIPAA? And they go, uh-huh. And I said, you remember how that was going to be easy? Of course, you keep everything private, no big deal. And how much time you spend with your lawyers making sure you're HIPAA compliant, both online and in your own practice in the brick and mortar world. I think the same thing's going to happen with the American with Disabilities Act, which it's a long-winded thing, but what are the potential consequences of having a website that is not accessible? Yeah, so when you define what a disability is, it usually breaks down into auditory, cognitive, neurological, speech and visual, or physical disabilities. And when you put all those together, about 20% of the population at any given time has a disability and will need the web to be accessible for them. The great thing about it is when you make the web accessible, you also make it just easier to use and better to use for someone without a disability. So when you keep in mind stuff like font sizes and colors, you also make it easier to use for anyone with a partial disability or maybe someone that's on a small screen, like a small phone or a smartwatch, something that you didn't think about when you're keeping in mind proper code, proper colors, proper font sizes, using the right heading and the right navigation, it's going to work somewhere where you didn't anticipate it uh, to work and where someone's going to end up using it regardless of whether you were thinking about them or not. We need to be accessible in healthcare in every which way we can. Yeah, if you're someone that works in healthcare, you are more than likely interacting with someone who has a disability, whether it's permanent or temporary. It could be that they lost their glasses or they have it or they pulled a muscle. It could be something temporary like that. But if you are trying to say that we're an expert in this medical field and you're not able to communicate with them or make allowances for them, then there is definitely some damage you're doing to your brand and to your image around that. There's a win here on so many different levels when you make your site accessible. It's, it's, Michael, you bring it up, like it may not be like, of course you don't want to get fined, uh, but the PR is terrible. But just making yourself available just from a pure sales perspective, from a pure branding perspective that you mentioned, uh, Vasu, it's, you're dead on with that. I guess the follow-up would be when you're looking at your website, for everybody listening in, how, how do you evaluate the accessibility of a website? So there are tools out there that can do what's called automated testing. The most well-known one is from a group related with the web consortium that kind of runs the web standards. Uh, This tool is called Wave. And it can do an automated test and it can tell you if you have errors, if you have warnings, if you have any issues that crop up. Errors are the biggest issue. It's the highest tier of problems that you have. And if you have errors, that's something you need to address immediately. Warnings you need to get to shortly thereafter. So Wave would be a good way if you have a practice and you just want to know, run it through the tool Wave, just type, just do a Google search for Wave accessibility and you'll find the tool. And it's not going to give you a score. It's just going to tell you the number of errors and the number of warnings. That's where it comes into play. Then you need to figure out what to do with that because it's not a simple score that you can just say, oh, a B is okay. I can live with that. Once you have these numbers, unless you're very familiar with developing website or code, then you just seek out a professional to help you with that. These numbers and that you're going to get are mostly for developers. And also sometimes the automated testing can be wrong for better or worse. Uh, Sometimes it'll miss things that are areas that need to be improved and fixed. And sometimes it will, or sometimes it'll give you a failing score on something that is just fine. It just doesn't know how to test for it. So once you use one of these tools to give you the quick answer, then you need to figure out, you need to find a partner to work with and have them go through your site and with a fine tooth comb 
and make improvements. That's assuming you have a site that is pretty up to date and that you like and that you want to keep. And if not, then maybe it's time to consider a newer design that is usually going to be more inclusive from the get-go. And it could even be cheaper just to have a whole new design made or move your content into a new design because it could have accessibility considered from the start. Yeah, sometimes trying to retrofit that stuff can get, turn into a yeah, real, yeah. real painful we, exercise. We've been down that pathway many times. And, and I would say, just to add into that, everybody listening, just because you have a new site doesn't mean it's accessible. The developer didn't take the time to focus on that and make sure that it's working appropriately. That's going to be an issue. Don't assume that, oh, I'm on WordPress or, oh, I'm in Wix or Squarespace or whatever, that it's magically accessible. Um, they're all that I just threw out there are fine platforms, but hey, you've got to uh, still have it work correctly yeah. and check for it. Unfortunately, in 2021, accessibility, even though it's something that's supposed to be core to the philosophy of the web, it's still something that's like you go to school for computer science or design or you go to a boot camp or you're self-trained, you often don't learn about accessibility. So the vast majority of the web is still inaccessible, regardless of who's making it and regardless mm -hmm. of the cost or the size of the institution. Uh, and this is where you go back to that ADA thing where you're going, guys, it's coming. So yeah, it's already here. So these web guidelines are defined by something called the web accessibility, uh, web content accessibility guidelines as the standard. Yeah. We're at version 2.0 right now. And version 3.0 of these guidelines was just put into public review over the summer, this past summer. So those are coming. And within the last few years, they got pulled into the Americans with Disabilities Act. I think it's part of Title III. Yep. And something like, I want to say almost 10 years ago, there were maybe 2,700 cases that were filed, like legal cases around this. And mm. in 2019, it was 11,000 cases. Yeah, a lot of lawyers are hopping <laughs> online, taking a look, trying to find those sites that aren't appropriate. For some of them, it's just a way to earn a buck. I get it. And for some, it's uh, they may have a disability as well. and They want to ensure that things are getting fixed at an appropriate pace, shall we say. Yeah, and it shouldn't just come down to legal ramifications. I know we talked about I agree. I agree. The, the brand impact before. And since the internet is the best way to reach out to people, especially those that might not be able to get to you because of a disability, it can also be a competitive advantage. So if your website is more accessible than your competitor or another practice, or even just another online information source that you're maybe competing with to get real information out there, Having something accessible means more people can use it. It also makes it more trustworthy. It means the code is better. And oftentimes that means that your search ranking is going to be higher because of it. Yeah. So you get the benefit of both building trust and reputation. And it's almost a bonus that you then become legally compliant as well. If you also combine that with one of the big factors of healthcare right now, which is that last mile delivery. And this is true yep. of a lot of different types of logistics, but so many people struggle with, now how do we bring this to a rural area? How do we take this to, to be able to accommodate people in all of these different spaces? These are the kinds of considerations that help you get there. It's not gonna solve everything, right? But this is definitely like a key component and being able to make that work. We're talking a lot about how it helps. What are some of the issues that that you've seen, Vasu, and some of the things that we've encountered just as a team around accessibility, whether it's something for a medical practice or even for like medical companies that we've worked with? Sure. I guess the, the good news, if you can call that, is the issues you, that I've seen in medical practices, they're the same that you see anywhere on the web, whether it's 
a news site or a media site or you know a blog or even social media. They usually break down into errors in presentation that could happen, and they're almost never malicious. It's not someone is right. it's not like someone is on purpose trying to make something inaccessible or is on purpose leaving information out. They just maybe they don't know, or maybe they're short on time, or they don't have the budget to address it. But usually there are five or six main items, with the biggest one being what we call alternative text for images. So when you have images on a site, they break down into two big groups. You could have images that are just for presentation. So it could be like a stock image or maybe a photo of a location or something like that, that maybe it offers some value to the person reading it, like saying that this is an image of Central Park, for example, can help set the tone or set the mood for what you're trying to convey. But if you leave that out, if someone has poor sight or no sight or is using an assisted device like a screen reader, if you don't say what that image is in the code, then there's no way for that image to be presented to that user. And again, we're talking about upwards of maybe 20% of your visitor base that might not be able to figure out what that image is or even know that it's there. So the other bucket would be images that are like really important to the document. So that could be a chart, for example, or a figure. If you're only conveying data in the form of a chart, how is someone with poor vision or no vision going to know what you're saying? They're not. <laughs> so yep. in the code base, we have ways of putting in supplemental textual information about, first off, whether an image is vital to what you're conveying or whether it's just for presentation and you can ignore it. And if it is vital or whether it's information you're conveying or it's setting the mood, we can put in alternative text, what needs to be said to the user so that they don't miss out as well. Overwhelmingly, that is the biggest item that is missing from websites when it comes to accessibility. You often run across this in a CMS where maybe you just upload an image and the CMS doesn't know what to put in there for for the alt text. Some social platforms will use AI to figure out what the image is about and they'll put in something in there like Facebook, Instagram, they'll do this. But for something like a CMS, it doesn't really have a good way of using any of that so you need to put it in yourself. And if you don't know to do that, then what's going to end up getting read out to the user is just the file name of the image. Yeah. And that's not very helpful. Yeah. yeah. Sure. You know, for let me interject CMS content management system. And you get back to this point you're trying to make. And this is a major portion of uh, the accessibility part. When you're putting that alternative text in, that's your opportunity to reach out to those people at 20%. So don't just say, I don't know, I'll be silly. Ambulatory Surgical Center. It's like, we have a brand new Ambulatory Surgical Center. Might be a little bit better to, to say than simply the term Ambulatory Surgical Center. It's nice. But take advantage of the fact that you can put in some, some info. Yeah. Hey, this is Michael with your P3 Pro Tip. Many practices have tried social media networks at one time or another, but many end up with a broadcast approach, meaning that they just post their messages without ever engaging with any of the comments or otherwise interacting with their audience. This isn't a very effective way of marketing your practice or building an audience on social media. Practices that are successful on social media take the time to review the interactions of their posts and respond when needed. It's not necessary to reply to every single comment you get, but at a minimum, you should be answering any questions that are posted on your comment threads. Letting those questions go unanswered is a clear sign that your practice isn't really paying attention to social profiles, and any audience you may have built up could quickly disengage. If your practice is going to do social media, make sure you do it the right way by dedicating enough time to review and respond to comments in a timely manner. And we're listening to the paradigm shift of healthcare, and this is Michael Roberts, Scott Zeitzer, and Vasu Tamala today. We're talking about web accessibility, how it actually plays out on your website, and 
we're looking into some of the the top issues that we run across right now. And so we're talking about alternative text for images. It's also something that, again, this is a huge component of just getting basic search engine optimization correct. So paying attention on both sides of this equation are definitely going to be a benefit. What other types of issues do we run into? Or do we cover everything with alt text yet? <laughs> no, that was just one of five or six items that are common. Yeah, yeah. But just to finish up on that one, you can even, if you have a headshot of someone, you can describe that headshot to someone. So if someone has no vision at all, it might be beneficial to them to know what that person looks like or what their age is. And you might want to interact with someone that is, you know, maybe you're an ethnicity, if you're an immigrant, that might make you feel more comfortable. And sure. describing that in the alt text for someone's headshot could be extremely comforting and informative to someone and make and give them more trust in their physician and in the practice. Yeah. I've um, never written one that way. So that, that's interesting <laughs> to hear. Sure. Yeah. Just speaking, you know, personally, my mother likes going to physicians that are also Indian. She just feels more comfortable with them. Sure. So that could be something that that goes into an alt description for someone and would make them feel more comfortable. So besides that, and that being the, the prevalent one, yeah. other things we see are insufficient color contrast. So that's going to be the difference in color between the foreground colors, that's usually text, and the background color. So some kind of maybe like the background color of the website background color of an image, background color of just some kind of box or shape on the site. If there isn't enough of a difference between those two colors, someone just won't be able to see it or they're going to have a really hard time. They're going to struggle with being able to read it. And if someone has a hard time reading your site, they're not going to put more effort into reading it. They're just going to go no. somewhere else. They're just going to get annoyed know? and leave. You're right. They're going to get annoyed and leave, <laughs> go find some other site that they can read. And oftentimes, if you have great vision or even pretty good vision, you might not know that something is low contrast and you need to use some kind of tool to calculate that difference. And oftentimes these colors are chosen just for aesthetic reasons. People like how they look and they aren't really giving thought into how that might impact someone. So aesthetics and personal feelings can often uh, have an accessibility impact. If you ever find yourself thinking, I like how this looks and that's the only reason you can really think about why you might want to go a certain way with, with uh, some branding colors uh, or how something looks. I would say take a few minutes and think about whether you're willing to compromise on that and whether those colors are accessible and what the ramifications would be if someone couldn't read your site just because you felt like purple's my favorite color, so I'm going to put that on the site and now someone can't read it. That's going to be a problem. And aesthetics just sometimes aren't worth it, or at least they're not worth not compromising. We also see lots of issues in uh, heading structure. So using the right code to define what's the most important heading on the page, the second most important thing on the page, the third most important, et cetera. If you think of a web page as an out with bullet points, sometimes that format just doesn't get used. And because of that, both Google or a screen reader doesn't know how to categorize the information and present it to someone who is having trouble reading or accessing the page. So the more you can use proper heading structure and help ease the user in and hold their hand and guide them through what is most important, the better. And that's often just missed. Someone might use bold text when they really should be using a level two header. And they might end up looking the same on the page, even though they're different at the code level. But to mm -hmm. someone using an assisted device, it could be all the difference between knowing what's important and what's not important. Yeah, that's a critical thing to bring up. And an automated error checker may not see it's just text and you just made it a particular style of text. But that's something that I, I know our team and, and you're a big part of that spends a lot of time making sure that structure is appropriate so that it does work well. And, it, and Michael, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't it help with Google searches as well when you structure that type yeah. of stuff better? It's funny because as, as you're talking through all these, 
I've not been guilty because I've not been able to like let myself like do it. But I definitely yeah. see marketers be very guilty of this kind of behavior. Uh, I'll just jump in here and, and change this thing around real quick. And wouldn't it be nice if I could have this size of header instead of that? Yeah, but it, it does really confuse the sort of like importance level of everything, right? Like you're sending mixed signals to screen readers, to Google, to all these different systems. And the more consistent you can be, but you actually have to work with your design team to get that right. And that's sometimes I, I am very guilty of, hey, I'll just get this done this time and then I'll go ask the designer next time. And it's, it makes it I, I will not mention the name of the company, but I'll never forget we were doing a very complex web application for a, a company. We had all the colors laid out and it was from a contrast perspective as well as a look, but we wanted to make sure that it was extremely usable. And the person came in and said, I think we're just going to change it to blue and yellow. Everybody stopped for a second. It was a very high level person. And I guess I had the nerve to say, okay, why? And the answer was, my daughter likes that. (laughs) Okay, that's great. And and I'm sure if you're a a Los Angeles Rams fan, that's good too. And I know, Vasu, you have no idea. It's a football team. That Okay, all right, you got that one. (laughs) It is important to look at it. And if you take that time to do these things, as Michael's saying, yes, it's you're helping people, you're doing the right thing, but you're also getting the customer to actually interact with you and hopefully use you. In a practice, it would be a potential patient or a current patient to actually utilize the site for critical inf- information. So we've got just, we've got alt text, we've got... Color uh, contrast. Sorry. Yeah, uh, we, we, got, we, got, we got, yeah we got heading structure. Links need to be written really well with some consideration. So for example, if you were to write a link that just said, click here, click here to do what? <laughs> You know, click here for what reason? So if your link isn't really well written out where it's obvious what you are linking to, or worse, if your link is maybe just an image, like a icon of a telephone that takes you to a contact form, you need to be putting in similar to alt text. There is other alternative text you need to be able to, that you need to put into that link saying where you're going, maybe what the purpose is, if it's not obvious already. Now, the best way to do that is to write the copy so that it always makes sense. But if you are unable to do that, or maybe for an aesthetic purpose you can't, then alternative text to really fully describe what that link is is really going to help someone who, who can't see what the screen says be able to navigate around the site. Yeah. Another area we see a lot of issues are with forms. So for example, contact forms or patient forms, if those aren't laid out properly with labels that fully define what each field is for, and without controls that are properly set up to navigate through the form, a person with a visual disability or a motor disability, all they all they might hear from their computer is that they have empty field after empty field to fill out, and they'll have no idea what's supposed to go in there. Yeah, we've all filled out forms where we're shaking our head and, and how many times we've left. And when you make these forms that are poorly designed, and again, if you've got some disability or it's just, what, I'm out. Yeah, if you sprained your wrist, you might not be able to fill out that form in the office. Your only way to do it is through the web. And if you also have poor eyesight, that's a double whammy. And now what are you supposed to do? <laughs> so we've covered a lot of like issues that we do see. As we're getting towards the end of the show here, there are some different widgets that are out there. There's one called like user way. That's certain, something we've certainly seen before. What are your thoughts on, on something like that? It seems like it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, better than nothing is definitely how I would describe it. So (laughs) if you, and that could be really important, actually. But once you use that wave tool that I was talking about earlier, if you notice that you do have errors and warnings, especially of errors, those are the the biggest 
tier of, of problem. It might take you a little while to find a development partner or for them sure. to address the issues or for that redesign that you've been putting off. Using UserWay as a stopgap solution is a pretty good way to go because it, it at least gets you somewhere. It can tackle items like font size, the, the color contrast we were talking about. It has its own built-in screen reader, which can be beneficial, although maybe not. I'll get to that in a second. Hmm. But even just those couple items, and increasing the font size, increasing the contrast, that alone can clear up a lot of errors and warnings and at least get you by during... You know, maybe it takes a few days, maybe it takes several weeks or even a, a few months right. to get your a, a new website developed from scratch. And having that in place is something that can protect you somewhat legally. And it can also help your site become a little bit more inclusive while that work's being done. But there are several things it can't do. It can't rewrite the heading structure that we were talking about. It has no way of knowing what the images are. So it has no way of writing alt text. It doesn't really know the context of a link. So if you, again, if you don't have your link text written properly, it doesn't have a way of providing that alternate link text. And it also has no way of figuring out how a form that's been improperly, what the labels are supposed to be for that. So it'll tackle a couple things, maybe one or Mm -hmm. two items out of the five or six, but certainly not all of them. And it will give you, it might give you some legal protection, but even last year, there were still 250 cases of someone getting sued and they were using UserWay. So it helps, but it's not a full shield. And there's also a performance implication. Since we are, since you are adding code to your site to try and add accessibility as a bolt-on item, it is going to slow down your website and a slower website is going to be Less fun for everyone, less usable for everyone. It will impact your your uh, Google search score. So better than nothing can help in the interim, but it's definitely not a solution. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As we're looking at what practices should be doing, really the first step is go check your score. What, what was the yeah. name of the tool again that they should be looking at? Wave, W-A-V-E. And you'll just put in your address. And unfortunately, it's not going to give you a score like an A or a B. It's just going to tell you how many errors, how many warnings you have, and if there are any other issues. From that, you can then talk to a development partner and figure out what what to do from there. Sure. So you've got... First step is just go take a look, use the WAVE tool, get a sense of how many errors you got. And then you may be looking at a full new site. You may be looking at some easy fixes that, that your developer can make for you and get fixed for you. So there's definitely a pathway forward here. It's definitely something that's not overly complicated to get right. started, to Correct. just get an understanding of what your checkup you know, looks like in, in terms of just being healthy as a practice. First step is to run that tool. And then the second step is just a decision. If your site's 10 years old and you think you have a pretty decent budget, I would go for a new site. Not only will you tackle the inclusivity and the accessibility aspect, you're also going to get a branding refresh. And that always looks... Sure modern and professional and like you're an active practice or company. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things, if anybody takes anything away from this conversation, if you're managing a practice, running a practice are the practice, when you pick your partner, have this conversation. If they have no idea what you're talking about, don't know about these tools, don't really get accessibility, find another developer. They're out there. It's not like we're the only shop that knows how to do this. There's quite a few out there that do. And I think it's a critical part of the win, so to speak. Yeah, and there's a good chance that just looking at statistics, there's a good chance your site is probably not going to be 100% compliant. Most no. of the web is not. Yep. And also because of that means most of your most of the partners out there that you might have heard about or worked with in the past might not be the right fit for, for getting you to that next level. 
Absolutely. As we're talking through this too, I, I can't stress enough search engine optimization, just good copywriting, good, good processes around leading your patient to what they need. All of these things go hand in hand. So there's a lot of overlap between just good overall marketing and good accessibility. So Vasu, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, yeah, my we pleasure. Hope you have a great week. Do, do take a look. It's just check that wave tool, see where you're see where you're at with your site and have a great week, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare. This program is brought to you by Health Connective. Custom marketing solutions for medtech and pharma. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.